I want to get right into the Word this morning because I feel like God's going to do something special here today. So grab your Bibles while you're standing. If you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I was, as you know, we have spent the last two weeks at Church of God Youth Camp. I was encouraged by one small thing that we did in the worship services this week. In youth camp, the evening speaker would have everyone stand in honor of reading the Word of God. Now you say, well, that's not a requirement, it's not necessary, it's not something that has to be done, and that may be true, but if we were seated and Jesus walked in the room, I'm sure we would stand. At a wedding, when the bride enters the room, those in attendance will stand. And so I'm convinced today that it is necessary to stand for the reading of the Word because the Word is important. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, God. I thank you, Lord, for your presence, your anointing, God, that's in this house today. And Father, I stand before you and your people, God, just flesh and blood, unable to do anything in and of my own self. And God, I submit myself to you today. And I ask you, God, to anoint these lips of clay to minister your word, anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive today. Father, I pray that you would help me, God, to... Speak this word, God, in such a way that it would be received by the hearts and the spirits of your people today. And Father, I ask you today, God, that you would move among us. Father, I bind every spirit of distraction in the name of Jesus. I bind every spirit of the enemy, God, that would try to hinder and stop what you want to do in this room today. Father, I pray that wandering minds would not wander. God, I pray that our thoughts would not look forward to the events of this day or the afternoon or the week. 
ahead, but God, that we will be 100% focused on the Word today and what you're speaking to us. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to use for a thought and a title, What is in the house? What is in the house? There's no doubt that if you've been around church for very long, this is probably not a new story for you. You've probably heard it read. You've probably read it or heard it preached many times. The truth is, there's nothing new under the sun. There's probably not another sermon that can be preached that hadn't already been preached somewhere before. But I want to look at this story today, and I want us to dive into this because I believe the Lord has given me some things to point out to us that's going to challenge us, it's going to help us. This story begins by revealing the challenges that this woman is facing in her life. And many of her challenges are even similar to those that we face in life today. This woman is looking for an answer to the dilemma that she's facing. She needs an answer that she thinks she doesn't already have. She wanted the prophet to do something for her and help her out of her dilemma. Some way of blessing her to help her out of the mess. What the man of God really said to her was this. You already have what you need. What you need is already in your house. <laughs> I know it's a little hard to believe right now, but your healing is already in the house. Your financial breakthrough is in the house. The very thing that you need most at your fingertips is within reach and grasp of you today. It's already in the house. You say, well, what do you mean, preacher? It's here. Whatever you have need of is already in the house. So it's really a fill in the blank. What do you have need of? Think about it for just a moment. What is the one need that you have right now? The most pressing need. It's here. It's up to us whether we seize it or not. There are blessings in this house. Listen, the woman was desperate. She was looking for a blessing. She was looking for a solution to her problem. But she needed more than just a blessing. She needed more than just a few dollars. She needed a lifestyle change. You see, sometimes we don't get what's available in the house because we don't want to change our lifestyle. You see, it's here. It's not a question of whether it's here. It, it is here. How do you know it's here? Because the Lord is here. And the Bible says whatsoever you have need of, if you will ask in faith believing, He can do it. But sometimes it requires a lifestyle change. All right, I'm going to preach. What do you mean it requires a lifestyle change? It's simple. If you need a financial breakthrough, you've got to change your lifestyle. If you need the Lord to bless you financially, you've got to change your lifestyle. I talked about this a few weeks ago. If you want your money to be blessed, you better tithe. If you're not tithing, you need a lifestyle change. You need to tithe because it will be blessed. It could be that you need to forgive somebody. To get what's in the house. It could be that there's some things that we need to separate ourselves from. To get what's in the house. She needed a turnaround. And if there's one thing I know about God. It's that he is in the business of turning things around. Let's look at this for just a minute. Verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead. and You know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. 
Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Let's talk about what was in the house. What did she have in the house? Well, first off, she had the right people in the house. She had her sons in the house. The second thing she had in the house was she had the prophet in the house. Elisha was there. She was having a conversation with him, right? The third thing that she had in the house was the product. She had the right product. So she had the right people. She had the right prophet. She had the right product. What does that mean? When you're in the house with the right people and you have the right prophet or the right preacher, if you will, or the right voice of God, and you have the right product, I'm convinced there's not anything you have need of that's not in the house. Now, I look across this congregation this morning, and I see people that God has strategically placed in this house. Hello? And I'm convinced there's going to be some other people that join us along the journey. But right now, we have the right people in the house. You have the right voice in the house because God put me here to shepherd this flock. That's not a pat on the back. It's just the assignment that God has before me right now. Not only do we have the right people, we have the right preacher. But more importantly than the right people and the right preacher, we have the right product. Whatever you have need of, it's in the house. She needed a turnaround. Some of you missed a good place to say amen. Can I just... I've got notes, but I'm just going to preach it the way... Listen. We often fail to realize the value of what's in the house. Because it's not something we can tangibly touch and not something that we can visually see as an object, we fail to understand the value that's in the house. Watch this. Perhaps because the oil wasn't packaged like she was expecting it to be, perhaps she didn't understand its value. Now, I'm going to say something right here. And if you disagree, that's okay. But when I look at this story, I could not help but think about the fact that perhaps she valued her sons more than the oil. Watch. She was trying to save her sons because the creditor had come in that time, if a debt was owed and the husband had died, then the creditor could seize the sons. They would become slaves of the creditor to work off the debt. And he was knocking at her door to take possession of her sons. And she was grasping at straws to save her sons. She wasn't concerned about how much oil she had but she was concerned about the children she had. So perhaps she valued the sons more than the oil. What would you say? Well, preacher, would you value your children more than the Crisco? The very fact that you're thinking like that tells me you don't get it yet. So let me break it down for you like this. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. It is a symbol of the anointing. Now, when you apply that concept, would you value your children more than the anointing? Absolutely not. Because there is no price you can put on the anointing of God. And if the anointing of God is present and evident in your life, then you don't need to be worried about your children because the anointing and the oil of God is more than able and capable and sufficient to take care of the sons. She didn't realize the oil was the source of her need or the source for her need. 
the prophet, the voice of God, the word of God, pointed her to the oil, pointed her to the anointing, pointed her to the power of the Holy Spirit. We got too many preachers in too many pulpits pointing people to something other than the Holy Spirit. We got too many preachers in too many pulpits trying to point to some self-help program, to some 12-step plan, to some this or some man-made ideology or man-written curriculum that tries to help somebody through something. Can I just tell you what the church and the world needs today is a man and a woman called of God to stand in the pulpit and preach the power of the Holy Ghost and the anointing of God is still capable of taking care of whatever you have need of help me Jesus when we realize the oil and the anointing of the Holy Ghost has all we need then we'll appreciate its value let's look at what happened God is a God of turnaround. And I believe he's getting ready to turn some things around in your life. I love it because God can step in in what looks like everything is a roller coaster going downhill. And he can stop that thing on a dime. He can flip it around and head it in the right direction. Somebody's been fighting sickness. God said your your healing is coming. Where there's been a lack, God said abundance is coming. Where you've been living and wor- wallowing around in sorrow, God said joy is coming. Where there's been confusion in your mind, peace is coming. Where there's been loss, God says I'm about to restore some things. If you can but believe that God is able, it's in the house. She was desperate. The Bible says that she cried. Look at what it said. She cried out, verse 1, she cried out to Elisha. The word cried there literally means to cry aloud or even to shriek. I picture it like this week when those girls was going down the zip line and they would squeal or scream going down the zip It's almost like a shriek. She was crying out. It perhaps even means that she had reached what she considered to be a critical point as if she had tried everything she could think of and nothing was changed. She was in a desperate situation. You've heard this before. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Look at what the Bible says. Look at the latter part of verse 1. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. The woman said, the creditor has come to take her two sons. Is come. What did that mean? He wasn't just talking about it. He wasn't calling me on the phone. He wasn't harassing me or threatening to take me to court. He wasn't sending mean letters in the mail. But he is here. He is at my house. He is knocking on my door. You see, things change when the knock is at the door. Something is different when it's come to your house. When you're not just hearing about it anymore. When you're not just seeing it on the horizon. But when it makes its way to your house, the situation shifts and desperation will set in. Maybe I can make it a little more plain for you. Maybe a little more personal. Perhaps divorce has come to your house. Some diagnosis has come to your house. Perhaps bankruptcy has come. A layoff has come. Foreclosure has come. Whatever the storm is, it's at your house. It's knocking on your door. And they're saying, now's the time to pay up. And you're looking around trying to figure out, what can I do? That's where this woman was at. She said, I don't know what to do. I preached to you about Hezekiah last week. And when he received the letters, the fact that when trouble came his way, he retreated to the house of the Lord. He went to the Lord's house. 
He didn't stop going. He went to the Lord's house and he laid the whole problem before the Lord. When the creditor came knocking at the door, this woman didn't, didn't just run off and she didn't just roll over and give up and quit, but she found the prophet of God. She found Elisha. She found the mouthpiece of God, the voice of God, and she said the creditor has come. Let me just change the word creditor right there. Trouble has come. Situations have come. Circumstances have come I don't know what to do because something has come by my house and what she did was she went to the representative of God and said I've got to have an intervention now listen you can read the Bible or you can read the Bible I have a very vivid imagination and I don't believe this woman said Elisha the creditor has come to my house and is about to take my two children to work off the debt that's owed. That doesn't sound like desperation to me. But I can hear the high-pitched voice of this mother. Elisha! <laughs> Hello? Troubles come! Some of you haven't got desperate enough to get your miracle. You're just content with living and working through it and muddling through life. And sometimes, I don't know why I'm saying this, help me, Holy Ghost, get out of here with a hair left on my head, how short they may be. But I'm just going to tell you something. Some of us don't want to be delivered from it because we've coddled it for so long it's become a crutch for us. And if we continue to use it for a crutch, people will continue to feel sorry for us. Not this woman. She said, the creditor's at my door. He wants my kids. But I dare say, I'm not willing to let him have them. Something's got to be done. My Lord, help me get through this. Watch this. There's just something different when it comes to your house. You see, when it's at everybody else's house, you can stand back in the distance and watch. But when it comes to your house, the situation is now different. It takes on a whole different level of urgency. For some reason, we get a little more serious and aggressive about it when it's our boat that's sinking. She reached a place of desperation and cried unto the prophet. It wasn't time for cuteness. She probably didn't care if she had her hair done or her makeup on. She might not even care if she had her Sunday best on. There comes a point when you don't have time for any of that anymore. You don't have time to care about who sees you crying. Desperate, desperation has a way of getting rid of foolish pride. When Jairus got desperate for his daughter to be healed, he didn't care who saw him with Jesus. His reputation as a religious leader didn't mean anything compared to the life of his daughter. Sometimes desperation is a good thing. It pushes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. You see, when we get desperate for a miracle, we don't worry if someone likes the way we shout or not. We don't get concerned about whether somebody likes the way I worship or not. We don't care if somebody rolls their eyes at us. Desperate people will do desperate things. Desperate people will run red lights. They will break speed limits. They will break religious traditions. They will risk their lives. Desperate people will climb a tree or jump in a lake or crawl on their hands and knees. They will get their fingers stepped on. They'll get their feelings stepped on. But they'll keep on moving because they're desperate. There's just something about desperation that puts a fire in our stomach. When you get desperate enough, you're willing to look stupid. Desperate people aren't worried about being dignified. If you've ever been in an emergency situation and you know it's a matter of life and death, dignity is no issue. By the time people reach desperation, they're willing to do anything they can. You see, desperation is a breeding ground for miracles. 
Desperation brought her to the word of God. Watch. Look at what happened here. It was her desperation that brought her to the prophet. She had nowhere else to go. The prophet represents the word of God or the voice of God. What you need is a word from God. And one word from God can completely change your world. It can get you out of your mess and transform your life. The prophet didn't give her anything except a word. He didn't give her what she needed. He didn't whip his wallet out and flip out a few hundreds and say, Here you go, pay the debt off, lady. We miss the miracle because it doesn't come packaged the way we think it should. God, I need a financial miracle. We expect God to put some cash in our hands to, to, to fund the financial miracle. But you know what I've learned about God? Sometimes he'll just wipe the debt clean. He didn't put the money in your hand. He just dissolved the debt. You say, you believe God can do that? I've seen him do it in our life. I remember when we were pastoring many years ago in Shreveport, Louisiana. I was sitting in my office one day, and I got a phone call from his bill collector. And they said, you owe, you owe X amount of thousands of dollars for this bill. And I said, I don't owe that. They said, yes, you do. You owe it. I said, well, I'm not paying it. Well, why are you not paying it? I said, because I don't owe it because the insurance company's taking taking care of it. Well, the insurance company ain't going to take care of it. They've done told us they weren't going to take care of it. I said, well, that's not my problem. I'm not paying it because the insurance is supposed to cover it. And I said, so you do whatever you need to do. And I said, and if you can't say yes, then I don't need to be talking to you. You see, so many times we settle for the person who can't say yes. We take what somebody says and when they say no, and we're just like, okay, well, I tried. No, the devil is a liar. If I, can, if I ain't got the person that can say yes, and I've only got the person that can say no, then I need to go above their head. There's nothing wrong and nothing disrespectful by saying, let me speak to your supervisor. So that's what I said. I said, let me speak to your supervisor. Well, I'll have to have them call you back. That's fine. I'll be by the phone. You just have them call me back. I hung the phone up. I didn't go back to what I was doing. I started praying. And I kind of prayed like this. Lord, you know and I know the insurance company is supposed to take care of that bill. Why they chose not to do it, I don't understand. I said, but I'm not paying that bill because it's not mine to pay. And I said, now, Lord, the devil's trying to put his hand in business dealings and business matters where he don't have any business. And I take authority over him, and I command him to release it now and let it go in the name of Jesus. Just a few minutes later, the phone rang. I answered the phone, and it was a supervisor calling me. And he explained to me that for whatever reason, the insurance company wasn't going to pay it, and that typically that I would be responsible for it. I said, I understand. And he went on, and he said, but Mr. Bounds, we don't do this. And I don't really understand why I'm doing what I'm about to do. But we're just going to wipe this debt clean. And I said, I know why you're doing it. I said, because that's the God that I serve. But the fact of the matter is, this woman here got a word from the prophet. Listen, he didn't do anything but give her a word. What do you have in the house is what he asked her. What do you already have? What he was simply saying to her is, you're looking for a miracle, but you already have the miracle. Oh, my Lord. The question, listen. The amount of oil she had, if you study this out, you will find out that the amount of oil that she had was a very small amount for personal anointing. It wasn't like she had a big barrel of it, and it wasn't like she had an abundant supply on it of it. Most uh, commentary writers will tell you that it was just a small flask of oil. The question is never about the amount of oil. The question is not ever about the amount of oil. It's about willing vessels and empty vessels. God is responsible for the oil or the anointing. We are responsible for the empty vessels. I'll bring it home in a minute. We fear that there will not be enough oil. God is concerned lest we fail to bring sufficient vessels to hold all he wants to give. She said, the only thing I have is a small thing of oil right here. Don't underestimate the oil. Don't underestimate the anointing. Oil represents the anointing. Don't underestimate it. 
Everything you need is in the anointing. Your miracle is in the anointing. Your joy is in the anointing. Don't underestimate the anointing. Prosperity is in the anointing. Deliverance is in the anointing. Your promotion is in the anointing. David said, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup. Turn and look at somebody and say, Your miracle's in the house. Oh, say it like you mean it. Look at somebody and declare your miracles in the house today. This is what he said there. He said, go borrow vessels of all your neighbors. Go down the street knocking on doors. Go get vessels that are already full. Now that's another sermon for another day. Get the empty ones. Because their anointing probably can't bring about the miracle I need. Their oil is not sufficient for my need. This is a moment of desperation. They go down the street and they're borrowing vessels. He said, borrow not a few. Let me put it in everyday language. He said, don't just get one or two. Get as many as you can get. Get a whole bunch of them. If you need to make multiple trips, make multiple trips. It doesn't matter. Just make sure you bring a bunch of them back and make sure the ones that you bring back are empty vessels. Help me, Jesus. i got to preach this. Every empty vessel that was filled produced a total lifestyle change for this woman and this son. Watch this. She had some directions that she had to follow. If the woman was like us, most of the time we get really concerned with just getting out of trouble, just getting out of debt, out of a bad relationship, getting out of pain, getting out of conflict. We just want some relief. But what God is wanting to do is more than just get you out of the mess. Listen to what he said. He said, go borrow some vessels. Borrow not a few, but make sure they're empty vessels. Every borrowed empty vessel was a declaration of desperation. It was admitting to God, I am as empty as this vessel and as powerless as this vessel. The vessels they borrowed didn't have any oil in them. You agree with that? They didn't have any anointing in them. So what has that got to do with anything? What she needed was already in her house, not in the neighbor's house. Watch. Sometimes the reason God can't bless us and release miracles into our life is because we're already too full. Too full of pride. Too full of self-sufficiency. Too full of human wisdom. Too full of fear. People come to church after filling up all week long on carnality, watching and listening to things that excite the flesh while their spirit is starving. And they come into the church and they want God to top them off with a blessing to carry them through the week. I told you a minute ago, it requires a lifestyle change. I don't know why I'm about to say this. But I'm going to say it anyway. I don't understand certain things. But in 21 years of ministry... I can tell you that there have been churches that we have pastored for the entire duration and tenure that we were at that church. There were some people who faithfully attended church but never answered one altar call I ever gave. That's a fact. And you will never make me believe that something I preached in all of that time didn't apply somewhere. Sometimes, if we're not careful, pride will get in the way. You can't walk down to the front of that church. Everybody already thinks you're already on a spiritual level higher than they are. If you walk down to the front of that church and a preacher prays for you, what's they going to say to everybody? Some of you have had this very thing in your ear. That's the devil talking. Listen, we come in here so full of everything else when we just need to empty ourselves out. So God can fill us. Borrowing from others was an admission that they were in need. Every door they knocked on and every empty vessel they borrowed declared their desperation and their emptiness. 
but it was also prophetic. Watch this. Because every empty vessel prophesied a potential blessing. Every empty vessel prophesied a potential blessing. Every empty vessel says, I'm getting ready to be filled. They that hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Bible says, they shall be filled. Verse 4. When they come in, he said, shut the door. And the Bible says, she shut the door upon her and her sons. I love this. She shut the door upon her and her sons. Let me tell you who wasn't in the room. The creditor. I don't need the world sticking their nose in my business when I'm trying to get what I need from God. There's some folk in the church I don't need their nose in my business. Hello? You see, because you can't share your business with everybody. We can't cast our pearl before. Not everybody has a level of faith, Brother Mike, to, 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 to believe what we have need of. You see, I may be trusting God for the big thing, but somebody else may not have the faith to trust God for that. You say, well, preacher, do you really believe that's true? Absolutely. Because I've heard people say, well, I just don't know if God would do that. You know, you might, just, you might just need to rethink that and think, you might just need to have another plan. Do you really think God can do that? Why couldn't he? That's what I say. Well, you know, God may not do it that way. Well, he may not, but thank you for your positivity. When you need a miracle, when you need a breakthrough, you need the right people around you. I love this. She went in the house. Don't miss this. And she shut the door. It's her. It's her two sons and the oil. It's her, the two sons, and the anointing. The sons didn't want to go be slaves. They had a reason to believe with mama. Mama didn't want to lose the boys. Mama had a reason to believe in the prophet of God. Sometimes you need to get in a place, close the door, and just let it be you and the anointing. My Lord. You have to know who is shut in with you so you can also know who to shut out. You say, well, preacher, that's harsh. No, it's not. Jesus even looked at people in the New Testament and told them, you need to get out of here because you ain't got the faith to see what's about to happen. Huh? Now, I paraphrase that, but it's in there. Y'all just need to scoot on down the road because you don't have the faith to watch what's about to happen. Hello, somebody. Isn't that what the Bible says? He put them out so he could do the miracle. It's not every brother that wants you to be blessed. Sometimes your greatest opposition is going to be of going to the next level. And God will come from the people who can't see what you can see. And they can't hear what you can hear. So they can't believe what God is about to do for you. It's like when the servant come back to the prophet and he said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand after the drought. None of us probably would have believed that it was about to rain unless we saw the dark clouds and we knew the thunder and the lightning was taking place. But all the prophet needed to know was there was a cloud in the sky. Something was about to happen. The wrong people being in your room will rob you of a miracle, talk you out of a blessing, ridicule out of your healing. You say, preacher, I just don't know if I believe all that. Oh, you don't? Listen, let me give you a biblical example. Ten negative spies talked an entire nation out of their God-given inheritance. Ten negative reports. Nobody could believe Joshua and Caleb. They had to believe the ten. Well, you know, preacher, majority rules. No, not when God's in the mix, it don't. But ten negative reports... Talked an entire nation out of their God-given inheritance. When you're desperate, you can't afford to have negative people around you. Negativity will kill the spirit of faith. You have to create an environment for faith to grow and develop, and it only comes through the Word. So tell somebody, shut the door. Tell them, shut the door.
I've told you, a few weeks ago I told you, we, we deal with so much in our life because we're steadily opening doors to the things that we're engaging in throughout the week. Some of us need to shut the door. That's going to require shutting the TV off. Shut the door. Some of that's going to require stop talking to people you're talking to. Some of you are going to need to shut the door by exiting some of those that have been sliding up into your DMs. Now, some of these old people are going, what does that mean? All these younger people I'm talking to right now, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Because he, young lady, ain't got your best interest at heart. I'm going to preach right there. He wants one thing from you that you're not supposed to be giving up until you get married. Now, you can get mad at me because I said it like that if you want to, but just be happy enough I got the guts and the bonus to stand up and tell somebody exactly that. Shut the door. Because you're going to get yourself entangled in the mess and garbage you don't need to be entangled in. Well, I didn't intend to say all that. Let me get over here. <laughs> shut the door. Listen. He said, when you shut the door, you begin to pour and fill those vessels up. Begin, now, remember, she only had just a small flask of oil. She only had about enough for personal anointing. But when she poured the first vessel, and it was full, and they brought the next vessel, and she poured, and it filled up, I don't know about you, but I'd been looking at that small flask. I'd been going, whew. I might would have had to stop long enough to have me a praise break right there. <laughs> but the more she poured, the more oil that came forth. Pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. In other words, don't just put a little bit in each vessel, but fill each vessel up one at a time, and don't stop till it's full. Fill it up before you start on another vessel. Watch. One of the reasons some of us are still living defeated lives is because we've not gotten full yet. We just got a half tank of God and thought we got enough to go whip the world. I didn't say you wasn't touched. I didn't say you wasn't blessed. I just said you wasn't full. Why does it have to be full? When you're full, you go into a different category. What does that mean? Look at what it says. When it's full, set aside those that are full. When it's filled, you set it aside. Watch this. Because then it's ready for use. The oil did not pour out on the ground or simply flow about. It was intended for a prepared vessel. Each vessel had to be prepared by being gathered. By being assembled, by being emptied, by being put in the right position and staying in the right position. When there is, was no more prepared vessels, the oil stopped. When you're full, you're ready to go and be used. Luke 24, 49, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Acts 2, and when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, another place says they spoke the word of God with boldness and their prayers caused the place where they were to be shaken. In Acts chapter 4, when God is looking for someone, he looks for the full category. When he's looking for someone to send out into the prisons to preach deliverance to the captives, he's looking for somebody that is full to capacity. God's looking to promote somebody and elevate them. He wants to find somebody that's full. You can be satisfied with just a touch. You say, well, what does it mean to be full, preacher? I'm so glad you asked. What it means to be full is you're not just here on Sunday. Because you want an encounter with him. But you're here on Every day of your life, you got him here with you. That means on tomorrow, he's filling you up. Hello. On Tuesday, he's filling you up. I'm about to get in trouble. On Wednesday, he's filling you up. 
on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, he's filling you up. But if the only time you think about God, talk to God, encounter him or engage him is when you come in here on a Sunday, then there's no way you'll convince me you're full. Some of you listen to Jason Aldean and Luke Combs more than you listen to God. Put whoever artist in there you want to. You say, preacher, let me, let me just say it like this. I didn't intend to use this. I, 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 I promise you this was not intended, but since I'm here, I might as well go ahead and just say it. To quote Loran Livingston, as he said it this morning, if we are adding the world into our Jesus, or even into our church, or adding Jesus out into the things of the world that we're engaging in, then what we're doing is in effect preaching another Jesus, not the Jesus of Scripture. Did you hear what I said? Listen, I almost tripped when he said that, brother. I was walking home. I was like, what did he just say? Full. I'm digging a hole. I might as well dig one more time. Because I'm telling you something. I feel something in my spirit. I feel this in my spirit that God's about to take this church to another level. And, and listen to what I'm saying. If you're not careful, you're not going to make it to the next level. I'm almost done. Watch this. If we were full of God when we walked in here on Sunday, our worship service would be different. If we consumed so much of Him throughout the week, the atmosphere of the worship service would be different. Hello? Because too many times, listen, I, I, I've been there, I know. Too many times we walk into the Lord's house and we expect a preacher to pump us up for the next week. I'm on a low limb. I need the preacher to encourage me today. You might have to get like David when he was at Ziglag and encourage yourself in the Lord. Hello? I'm not saying the Word can't encourage us, but what I also am saying is that if we're full of God when we get in here, then I'm telling you there's not a miracle that you need that God can't get to you. Let me get out of here. Full. What you need's in the house. Listen, this is a divine revelation. I didn't have this in my notes. The Holy Ghost just spoke this to me. The vessels that the mother and the two sons were filling were not filled in the church. They were filled at home. They took the vessels to the house and they filled them in the house. Not at the temple. Not at the synagogue, not at the church, but they filled them at home. What does that mean, preacher? It just simply means we've got to do our part to be filled at home. Don't stop till you're full. Why? Because when you're full, you walk different, you talk different, you sing different, you preach different, you pray different. You even dress different. When you get full of the Holy Ghost, every aspect of your life will change. say one more thing. I really don't even want to say this, but I just feel like I need to say it right here. I'm working on a message right now titled, Something's Missing. There are people in the world today that are running rampant looking for something to fill a void in their life. They're not finding it. I said they are not finding it because they'll never find it until they get Jesus in that empty spot. Now, here's what's maybe a degree worse than that is there are people sitting in churches across America today that have an emptiness and a void in their heart and it's not filled because they're trying to fill it with everything else.
Here's the point, church. God wants all of us or he'll have none of us. You say, that's, that's harsh, preacher. The Lord spoke that to me a few years ago. And I wrote it down and I just had to sit and ponder on it a minute. He wants all of us or he'll have none of us. It's scriptural. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. And if anything has taken the place of God in your life, it is a master. It has been elevated to the place of God in your life. And if it's been elevated to the place of God, then you have removed the God of the universe off of His throne and put whatever that is up there. Say, preacher, why are you talking like this? I'm going to tell you why I'm talking like this. Because I don't think the church world really understands how close we are to the rapture. I'm 47 years old. I'll be 48 in the month of November. And brother, I never thought I'd see this age. Because the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. It's all I heard growing up, the rapture. And I'm getting ready. In a few short weeks, I'm fixing to preach a series of messages on the end times. So you better get ready. But here's the thing. I never thought I'd see this age because the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. I was getting saved every church service. I was going down to the altar. I was repenting every church service. Now you can laugh if you want to. I don't care. I want to make sure I didn't get left. Just this week, Listen to what I read. You may have seen it. Panera Bread has installed palm scanners in their restaurants. And when you go to Panera Bread, you scan your palm. It will greet you by name. And it will tailor a menu according to your likes and dislikes. How close do you think we are now? Listen, if, if science and technology has advanced to the point that your palm can be scanned and they know you by name and know your likes and dislikes, it's only a matter of time before it will be linked to a bank account and that's how you will buy and sell. You better hear me what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to scare nobody. If you're scared, you need to repent of something in your life. Because this is the rise of the mark of the beast. For years we heard about the little grain of, uh, the little uh, capsule like a grain of rice or something that they were putting in people's hands and we thought, oh, that's the mark, that's the mark, that's the mark. The, that is nothing compared to what Panera Bread is just unrolling. If you think that's something, if it's successful in that restaurant, guess what all the other restaurants are going to do? Same thing. So when I come in here and preach some things like I preach today, it's not because I'm mad at anybody but the devil. It's not because I want to be harsh. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't want anybody that's ever sent under my ministry to go to hell. I'd rather you go to heaven mad at me than go to hell glad at me. So if something I preached has maybe rubbed us the wrong way or it made us just go, you know, we'll back. Maybe we need to check ourselves. Listen, I'm a firm believer. I stand right here before I ever walk to that pulpit every Sunday. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything in my life not pleasing to you, forgive me and remove it, Lord, in the name of Jesus, so I'm pure and holy before I stand before your people. I pray that. That's the last thing I pray before I walk to the pulpit. Because I want to make sure I'm right with God before I try to stand up here and deliver his word. Fooey on this junk of. Once saved, always saved. You can be saved once and stay saved. I'm not saying you can't. But what I am saying is you can't pray a prayer and ask the Lord to forgive you and then go live however you want to live the rest of your life and think you're going to go to heaven. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And I love you enough to say it that way. The enemy's fighting so stinking hard against the people of the church today. 
And I'm telling you right now, contrary to what some people may believe, if you look at the world today, you'd think the church is a dying, weak organism. But I'm telling you, the way I read my Bible, and the way my Bible reads, when Jesus steps out on the clouds of glory, He's not coming back for some weak, manby-pamby church, but He's coming back for one that's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's coming back for one that's going to rise in power, rise in glory. He's coming back for a church that's going to rule and reign with Him all throughout eternity. That's the church I read about. My Lord, I've preached hard enough this morning. I want to go repent. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm telling you the truth. What do you need? It's in the house. Listen, we have evolved to a place. I'm trying to stop. But I might as well shake this bush while I'm here. We have evolved to a place in Christianity to where we want to do everything we can and see what we can get by with and still feel like we're okay. We got people who are arguing. I'm fixing to get in trouble. We got people arguing over whether it's okay to drink and be saved. I'll tell you the truth. Social drinking is not a sin. The Holy Spirit was likened unto new wine in the New Testament. Right? You know why? Because studies show that even at the beginning of drinking alcohol and even one sip, it begins to alter your mind. It begins to change your thought processes. It begins to change your reaction times. So, so when, when in the New Testament the Holy Spirit was likened to new, to new wine, it's because when the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon somebody, He takes complete control of them. But you know what? Abstain from the very appearance of evil. A scripture. Preacher, that's between me and God. You're absolutely right it is. But if you're under my ministry and the ministry of this house, then God's put you here as under me as a shepherd, and it's my job to shepherd and to lead. And I'm just going to tell you like this. I believe there is more support of a holy lifestyle abstaining from alcoholic beverages than there is support in the Scripture for consuming them for a child of God. The enemy starts in one place and he begins to drive a wedge and a wedge and a deeper and a deeper wedge till he divides and conquers. Here's, here's another thing. You say, well, preacher, I, I, you, may, you may be thinking, preacher, I don't think it's wrong to drink. Let me just ask you this. Are you hiding it from people? Because I've come to learn that what people are ashamed of, they hide. If, if you're a consumer, I don't even know why I'm going here. If you're a consumer of it and you invited me over for dinner, would you serve it to me? Hello? That's okay. There's, I got my glasses off because I can't see faces. Everybody's blurry. But let me tell you something. The Spirit's working. Wheels are turning. The Spirit's working. I'm going to tell you just like this. I would rather stand before God and hear Him say, well done, than stand before Him and Him say, depart from me. Listen, it's not easy 
tackling tough topics and tough situations. But here's the fact. What you need is in the house. And whatever, whatever you're doing that's pulling you away from God, that's satisfying whatever void that's there, what you really have need of is in the house. And it's found in the anointing. Stand with me all over this house.